you have your Bible, open up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. It's good to be back with you. Um, told a few folks it always just feels odd when I'm not here. I'm uh, thankful for your graciousness to allow me and my family a little bit of time away. Um, but it is so good to be back. And uh, as you can see, it is getting to that time of the year where folks are gone on vacation and that kind of stuff. Our family was gone last week. We got several folks out today, and so I appreciate uh, Caitlin, my wife, helping out and um, with our with our worship through song. Luke chapter twelve. I'll speak to you today from God's Word, Luke chapter twelve. Uh, verse 13 through 21, about a fool's paradise. A fool's paradise. Well-known writer and thinker of the late 19th and early 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, said this, To be clever enough to get all the money, one must be stupid enough to want it. Let me say that one more time. To be clever enough to get all the money, one must be stupid enough to want it. I would disagree with um, a good bit of G.K. Chesterton's theology, but I think I have to agree with that, uh, that statement that he made many years ago. Um, you would have to be pretty smart to figure out a way to get all the money, but at the same time, you'd have to be pretty dumb to want to do that. Now, why? Why would he say that? Well, I think he understood something. I think Chesterton understood the danger of earthly possessions. The danger of earthly wealth. The danger of having lots of stuff. The danger of having lots of stuff. You say, well, what, what danger could there be? I mean, how, how could that be a dangerous thing? Well, I think as we'll see in this passage today, earthly possessions can actually distract us from something that is far more important. In fact, we could be incredibly rich here on this earth and be very poor spiritually. We could, we could have everything this earthly life could offer and miss out on everything God in His glory and His kingdom would desire for us to enjoy for all of eternity. The temporary pleasures of this life could actually blind us to the eternal pleasures of knowing Christ, being rescued from our sin, and enjoying the eternal riches of heaven with Him forever. It is foolish to seek security in earthly possessions rather than in Jesus. And that's what we're going to learn in chapter 12 of Luke, verse 13 through 21. If you could maybe turn me down just a little bit, because if I raise my voice at all, I'm probably going to blow a speaker out. So um, just before I do that, um, let's read this passage. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we cannot walk away from this place today, having spent time in your word, any better for it. If you, through your spirit, do not help us. Father, we need help to understand this text. We need help to understand your word. Father, this is, this is your word, the word of God. Father, we are, we are mere humans. And that means we desperately need your help to understand what you are communicating to us through this passage of Scripture. But Father, we also need help in taking away the blinders from our eyes and, and, and softening our hearts, Father, um, we could understand intellectually what this passage is saying, but it have no effect on our hearts. Father, if your spirit doesn't just soften us and give us teachable hearts, and Father, a desire, a desire to, to, to know you and to know you better and to, to have you be the, the center of our lives and, and, and to have your word be the foundation on which our lives are built. Father, we need your help to do that. And so, Lord, we ask that, that in this, these next few moments, as we, as we seek to unpack this passage of Scripture and, and understand what it says and understand how it applies to our lives, Father, would you do what only you can do? Take your powerful word and penetrate our hearts with it. Father, please do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is foolish to seek security in earthly possessions rather than in Jesus. I want to share with you five truths this morning concerning earthly possessions and preparing to die. Earthly possessions and preparing to die. It's an interesting passage of Scripture that we find here. Uh, and, and it's one of those passages that is pretty simple. It's pretty simple to understand what, what God is trying to communicate to us um, through this text of His Word. But in the simplicity of it, we don't want to fail to compare this passage of Scripture with our own lives. Well, let me emphasize the last part of what I just said, with our own lives. You compare this passage of Scripture with your life, and I'll compare this passage of Scripture to my life. Because this passage of Scripture is one of those where it's easy to think in our minds about all these other people that we may know personally or may just have heard of or seen on TV or, or however, whatever level of acquaintance we have with them. It's easy for us to read this passage and think, man, I, I know somebody who needs to hear this. Now, we could do that with any passage of Scripture, and it would be wrong to do so without applying it to ourselves. But I just think that this one is particularly uh, easy to do that with. Because, because we, we, and this, this speaks directly to the heart of this passage, we, for, for I was going to say for whatever reason, but I know what reason, because there's sin in our hearts, uh, we have a sinful nature, we like to think that we're not as good off 
I don't even know how to say that. We're not as rich, we're not as wealthy as we could be or as this other person is. And so we think, well, well, when this is going to talk about somebody who's rich, well, that doesn't apply to me. Can I just tell you, whatever level of income you have here today, you are a part of the most wealthy people in all of the planet. Okay? I don't, I don't care how little you may think you have, compared to the majority of the rest of our planet, everyone in here would be considered rich. So let's not, before we jump in, let's not be pointing fingers and thinking about others. Let's seek to apply this passage of Scripture to our lives. First truth is this. Jesus didn't come to help us gain earthly possessions. Jesus didn't come to help us gain earthly possessions. We have this, this incredible story here. And uh, Jesus is um, during his earthly ministry. This is before he goes to the cross. And, um, and he's doing some teaching. He's doing some miracles. Uh, and, and that's just part of his earthly ministry, part of the kingdom of God coming through him here on this earth. And, uh, and someone in this crowd, this crowd of people is gathered around. And he, and he makes a request of Jesus, almost a demand. He says, teacher, talking to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The same thing happened back then as happens today. Someone passes away. They have money. They have land. They have houses. They have, they have earthly possessions. And those possessions get passed along to their children. And there was a certain way, according to Old Testament law, that they were to divide this between the firstborn and, and the others and, and, and some different rules. But here we have a brother who apparently has had a, a father pass away, and now he and his brother need to split the inheritance. And we don't know exactly what's happened if his brother has tried to take all of it and not given any of it to him. Uh, perhaps he's not, this one that's speaking is not the firstborn son and so he would have received less and maybe he wants to receive an equal amount maybe he thinks he deserves more we don't know all the all the uh details but what we do know is that this man is concerned about getting earthly possessions and he wants jesus who when he speaks is one who speaks as the text tells us with authority that people looked up to Jesus, even if they didn't believe in him, they looked up to him and his wisdom. And, and he just spoke with this different level of authority. So he thought, maybe if Jesus will talk to my brother, then I can get more out of this inheritance ordeal. And he says, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me now. Jesus now has an opportunity to speak about. Why he came. Now, he's, gonna, he's not going to say it uh, word for word. I didn't come for this, but I came for this. But he's going to imply his mission in what follows, in his response. Notice Jesus, what Jesus says in verse 14. He said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And when Jesus calls him man, that, that was kind of like, it wasn't a personal term. It wasn't like Jesus saying friend. It was kind of like, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator? And it was kind of a distance there. That while this man that was standing for Jesus really didn't understand why Jesus had come, Jesus put some space 
between he and this man and between the request that this man had and his mission. He wants Jesus to jump in the middle of an earthly inheritance dispute. And Jesus basically says, that's not why I am here. You are missing the point of why I am here at this point in history on this earth. The Son of God did not come to this earth to provide us with earthly possessions. That's not why he came. He has a much bigger mission. We also learn something about what this man is focused on. While Jesus is focused on eternity, and we'll see this as we walk through this passage, this man is clearly focused on the physical. He's clearly focused on the here and now. He's so focused on the physical that he missed the Son of God standing right in front of him, the only one who could save his soul from eternal wrath. And he's worried about an earthly inheritance. He's worried about earthly riches when Jesus is standing in front of him and can provide for him eternal heavenly riches. One writer put it this way. He said, this man was one whose chief thoughts evidently ran upon this present life. How many hearers of the gospel are just like this man? How many are incessantly planning and scheming about the things of time, even under the very sound of the things of eternity? Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps that's me. Perhaps as we've come in together today and opened up the word of God, this bread, this bread of life that really is Jesus who became flesh, the word made flesh. And we're under the under the sound of eternity here today. And yet our minds are so enamored with the things of this world that our ears are stopped up. Our eyes are stopped up. Our minds are stopped up. Our hearts are hardened to the things of God because the things of this world have such a hold and a grasp on us. Jesus didn't come to help us gain earthly possessions. That's number one. When we get to number five, we're going to finish number one, okay? We're going to talk about why Jesus did come. We'll hold that off for just a moment. Number two, truth number two. There is more to life than having earthly possessions. There is more to life than having earthly possessions. Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't come so that we would have earthly possessions because there's more to life than having earthly possessions. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And now Jesus turns this into an incredible learning, teaching opportunity, just like he so masterfully did time and time again. He said to them, so now he looks back to the crowd. They would have heard heard this man um, make this request of Jesus. He talks to the man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. And then he speaks to the crowd. He says to them, take care and be on guard. That word there, take care, be on guard, that word in the, in the Greek uh, literally means to take action, like come to arms, like pull out your weapons and get ready to fight. It's not a passive word. It's a very active word. Take care and be on your guard. Against what? Against an inheritance? 
No. It doesn't say there's anything wrong with an inheritance. Against stuff? No, not necessarily. Don't take guard just simply against earthly possessions. Take guard against covetousness. Take guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Here Jesus repeating the tenth of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Covet. What does it mean to covet? We could probably think of a lot of different definitions. We could all kind of come up with our own. I, I think one way to say it would be to say, to want what you don't have. To want what you don't have. To want what somebody else has. Somebody else has something that's bigger and you want that. Someone, somebody else has something that's more powerful and you want that. Somebody else has something that's stronger, that's prettier, and you want those things or those people in your life. You look at those around you and you are dissatisfied with what the Lord has blessed you with. And so you want what you do not have, what God has not provided for you. And Jesus says, be on guard against that. Why would he use the word that means to to take up your arms and to get ready to fight? Because covetousness isn't just out there somewhere by itself waiting around for us to go looking for it. It's coming after us. Every day, especially in the society that we live in, where there is an overabundance of of stuff, of earthly possessions. And it is, I believe, wreaking havoc even on the church. I wonder what the world sees when it looks at the church. Does it see a people who are more concerned with the things of God than with acquiring earthly possessions? Or does it see a people just as concerned about earthly possessions as the world is, but we just mix God in a little bit with it. Be on guard. Take action against the temptation to covet. I don't know what you're tempted to covet. It's something different for all of us. But you know, life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Well, what then does life consist of? If it doesn't consist of the things of this earth that I can see and I can touch, what then does life consist of? I mean, didn't Jesus say that I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly? And the temptation is then to take that that Jesus said in John chapter 10, say, well, that means that Jesus needs to give me some more stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the right thing in my job. I'm working hard. That means I deserve the promotion. I deserve the raise. I deserve the bigger and the better. I mean, Jesus wants to bless me, right? Yes. But so often we have a different view of what true life really means. What true life really looks like. The world wants us to think that true life is to have a bunch of stuff. And Jesus says that's not what real life is about. True life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus takes an opportunity to do what he often does, tell a parable. 
tell a story to illustrate a deeper spiritual truth. And as he tells the story, we're confronted with two of the dangers of earthly possessions. There's probably more, but I at least want to share two of them with you. These dangers are very real for us in our society where there's so much stuff. I mean, there's stuff all around us. One writer said this, and he was writing uh, about 60, 60 years ago, 50, 60 years ago. But he said this. In 1840, the average American had 72 wants and 16 needs. I don't know where he got the numbers from, but just, just roll with it, okay? Even if they're not exact, it, the point is, is, is well taken. In 1840, the average American had 72 wants and 16 needs. In 1940, he had 484 wants and 94 needs. Those the numbers. The wants increased, the needs increased. In 1840, there were 6,000 articles manufactured in the United States. In 1940, the figure was 365,000. Notice what happens. The availability of earthly possessions increased, and with that, wants and needs increased as well. And we could say those numbers are probably much, much higher today. And here's how he, here, here, here's his take on it. And, and I, he just stated it so well, I want to share it with you. He said, the widespread unrest today is ample evidence that things cannot satisfy the longings of the soul. The widespread unrest today is ample evidence that things cannot satisfy the longings of the soul. So here's what he did. It didn't take rocket science to do this. He looks around and he says, there used to be not as much stuff to go around. And people had some wants and they had some needs. Now, there's a whole lot more stuff to go around. And so you would think that our wants would have decreased, and especially our needs would have decreased. But in fact, as the availability of things rise, we just want more and more and more stuff. As, as our earthly possessions increase, you know what happens? We become more and more dissatisfied with what we have. That's the danger of covetousness. And we see it in the unrest in our soul where we chase after earthly possessions. So let's look at this parable and see a couple of dangers. Third truth is this. Earthly possessions can give us a false sense of security. Number three and number four are going to be these two, two dangers. Number three, earthly possessions can give us a false sense of security. All right, so let's look at verses 16 through 19. So here's this parable. Here's the story that Jesus tells. This incredible story. Uh, Jesus just, of course, he's God, so he's the master of all things. But he's definitely the master of telling the right story at the right time. He tells him a parable, and he says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Stop right there in this story. Notice what's happened. This man, this man is a rich man, so he already has a lot of stuff. It produced plentifully. He's a farmer. He's a wealthy farmer. And his land produces a lot of crops. 
crops, meaning food for his family, and be a lot to sell, mean money for him. Now, let's ask a question. Is that bad that his land produced plentifully? Did he have something to do with that? Yeah, he probably used the right farming techniques. He worked hard and, and, um, and, and he, he did the right things in planting the seed. But who else was responsible for that? I mean, God, in a sense, right? God sends the rain and the sun and, and, and he, makes the, he makes the plants grow. There's nothing wrong with what happens here at the beginning of the story. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Okay, great. Nothing wrong with that. And he thought to himself, what am I going to do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Well, that abundance of harvest produced a, a real problem, a dilemma for this guy. He has all these crops and he doesn't have anywhere to store it. At this point, there's some options that are on the table. What's he going to do? Does he let him go to waste? That probably wouldn't be a good thing. Does he build bigger barns and store them for later? Well, maybe that maybe that's a good thing to do. Does he give them away to others that maybe don't have as much? That'd probably be a good thing to do. There's probably other options on the table. Well, what does this man do? Well, first of all, he consults with himself. He doesn't consult with God. That was problem number one. He never asked, what, God, God, what do you want me to do with this overbunch? God, you have blessed me so richly. I really have more than I need. God, what would you want me to do? He just has a little meeting with himself. Problem number one right there. Probably not a good idea just to consult with yourself all the time. Because Scripture says our hearts are deceitful, are wicked above all else. Our hearts will lead us astray. So he has this little powwow with himself. Notice how many times he refers to himself in his answer to his own question. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We're starting to get a glimpse of where this man's heart is. It is fixated on himself and on ensuring that he has the most comfortable, easy, fun, merry life here on this earth. At no point in his little conversation with himself does he ever think about God. Does he ever think about anyone else? It's all about me, myself, and I. Doesn't that describe our society today? When he should have been more concerned with his soul, he was more concerned with his stuff. And so he is going to tear down his barns, he's going to build bigger ones, and he's going to keep it. But notice why he's going to do it. This isn't some kind of investment so that he can give it away and have something to share with others. His whole reason in doing this is so that he can sit back and be happy and wealthy, fat and sassy, as they say. That's, that's his whole objective, to sit back and have this long, beautiful retirement and not have to do anything and not have to worry about anything. Because he has all of this stuff. He feels very secure. 
You see, that's one of the dangers of earthly possessions. We can look around at our stuff and it can make us feel secure. He has built for himself, or he thinks he's fixing to build for himself, what I'm going to call a fool's paradise. A fool's paradise. You know, it's something that if we're all honest with ourselves, and if we were talking to one another, if we were honest with one another, something that we struggle with, we look for paradise here on this earth. We do. We were leaving the beach a couple of days ago, and my oldest daughter said, Daddy, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I said, oh, I know. Wouldn't it be fun just to get to stay at the beach and not work and, 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 and just hang out and, and play and soak up the sun forever and ever? Our, our hearts long for this paradise. And that's okay. I actually think that God created us to long for a paradise. It's called putting eternity into the hearts of men. It's what Scripture says. The problem is we trade the beautiful paradise of God for something that we could create here on this earth. And so we work and we work and we try and we try to build for ourselves these little paradises where we have all that we think we want and all we think we need. The problem is we keep wanting more and we keep thinking we need more and our hearts are never satisfied in the paradises that that we have built. That's not a paradise. A paradise is where you are at peace, where your heart is at rest, and there's only one paradise where that can happen, and that is the paradise that Christ prepares for us in eternity. But see this man. He's trying to build for himself an earthly paradise. And what's going to happen is he is going to forsake an eternal paradise. Because notice what Jesus says next. But God said to him, fool. Now, stop there. The earth, the the, the world would have looked at him and said, wow, look at him. Look at what he's done. I want to be like him. Please, let's have a little seminar and you share with me your five tips on having a, a early, long, happy retirement. We'll, we'll let him speak and he'll, he'll share with the world how he's amassed this great fortune. But God, while the world, while the world says, wow, look at him, God says, you fool. Why? Because it was bad that he had this abundance of crops? No. Because he placed his hope in his possessions. Fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? Wow. Jesus. Just the wisdom of Christ. Remember the question that started this all. Hey, my father died and I want the inheritance. Jesus says, fool, who's it going to be when you die? Truth number four. Earthly possessions can keep us from preparing for death. Earthly possessions can keep us from preparing for death. See, here, I think, I think here has got to be one of the main points of this passage. And Jesus would say, don't try to turn this life into paradise or you may miss the actual paradise. We can't take earthly possessions with us when we die. So there are no value in helping us when we die. We're not going to ever stand before God. No one ever stands before God as judge and says, look at this stuff, God. 
God's going to say, who cares? It doesn't belong to you anymore anyways. The certainty of our death. Hear, hear me out. The certainty of our death and the uncertainty of when it will happen demands that we prepare to die today. This very night, your soul will be required of you. Right before the service started, my wife just shared with me about a couple was killed in a car wreck. Well, this weekend, last night, just like that. This very night, your soul is required of you. And what have you spent your life preparing for? An earthly paradise. Then in a moment, it's gone. You stand before God. And then what's the outcome going to be? Listen, don't, don't misinterpret this. Our earthly possessions bad? Is it, is it a sin to have stuff? No. If that was the case, it would be a sin for me to have a car to drive. It would be a sin for me to have clothes. Like, if that was a sin, then, then we should just not have anything. This isn't a passage calling us to a life of asceticism or a, a life of poverty. In fact, even Proverbs speaks about the ant. says, remember the ant who stores up and saves for the winter is wise in the way he uses his resources. But here's the point. As one writer said, poverty has many disadvantages, but riches destroy far more souls than poverty. Again, beware. Where is your heart? Is it wrapped up in the things of this world? Jesus said back in Luke chapter 9, verse 25, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's exactly where this fool has found himself. Gaining the whole world. And losing himself for all of eternity. Trading in temporary riches of this earth that don't even satisfy. Not even, not even barely for a moment. Trading that in in exchange. Giving up earth, a heavenly paradise. This is not a call to live in poverty. What it is a call to is a call to Jesus. This is not a call to poverty. If you walk away thinking, hmm, I guess I, I, guess I just have, have too much stuff and what I need to do is just sell some of my stuff. Maybe that's what you need to do. I, I don't know. That, that's not the main point. The main point is that this guy who asked the question at the beginning of the passage missed Jesus. Because his focus was on his stuff. And so what this is a call to is a call to Jesus. It's a call to lay aside the things of this world so that you can gain Christ. Who is far more valuable than anything this earth could offer. Truth number five, finally. Jesus came. Remember how we started? We say Jesus didn't come to give us earthly possessions. So the question then hanging throughout this passage, well, then Jesus, why did you come? Well, Jesus came to make us rich. He did to make us rich toward God. So therefore, embrace Jesus rather than your earthly possessions. I read this that in this passage, I read someone that, that summed it all up this way. He said, Jesus came to bring men to God, not property to men. Amen, right? 
Amen. Why was Jesus here? He says, man, who made me an arbitrator over you? Jesus says, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for a much greater purpose. Oh, yeah, I'm here to make you rich, but not with earthly stuff. I got something far better than that. I have the riches of heaven that belong to me. And I will share with you. You can be co-heirs of Christ. I told you I was going to blow speakers out. I think that's the monitor. You can be co-heirs with me. Forget about that inheritance here on the earth. Forget about this stuff. Man, come join me. And I will share with you the riches of my Father's presence for all of eternity. How was he going to do that? How was Jesus able to make sinners rich toward God? That's what it means to be rich toward God, is to have our sins forgiven and to be in a, a personal, everlasting relationship with God. So that we can enjoy Him forever instead of being punished by Him forever. That's what it means to be rich toward God. But how can Jesus do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. I'm not telling you today, don't be rich. I'm telling you, be the right kind of rich. Be rich towards God. Have all that Christ would offer you for all of eternity. Don't settle. Don't settle for the things of this world. I love what Jesus says to the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. A church that was undergoing intense suffering, tribulation. As this verse says, poverty. These people were poor. They were hurting. The world was taking everything from them. And this is what Jesus said to this church. I know your tribulation and your poverty. But you are rich. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's real life. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But it consists in knowing Jesus Christ. One person said the true Christian is the only man who is really Wealthy and wise. True woman, true Christian is the only woman who is really wealthy and wise. You really want to be wealthy with a wealth that lasts forever? You really want to be wise and not a fool? Be rich toward God. How? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Through Jesus.